Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to Eye on the Community. I'm Vicki Pepper. 2021 marks a pretty special bicentennial. 200 years ago, our American version of Santa Claus arrived on the scene in New York, but he wasn't the brainchild of Clement Seymour or Washington Irving. For the first time in more than a decade, an up-to-date, documented history of Santa Claus is available. Santa Claus Worldwide shares the real story of the American Santa Claus's creation and includes a painstakingly researched history of midwinter gift bringers of midwinter gift bringers from all over the globe. Author Tom German is on the line with me. Thank you for joining me. It's my pleasure. Tom, start by telling us, how did your collection of Santa figurines and ornaments inspire this book? Well, I started collecting Santa Claus figurines in about 1985 um, at a uh, craft fair in Pasadena. And I collected a few more every year until I got to the point I had, I don't know, 4,500 figurines and at about the same time I retired from my practice of law and looked around and said what should I do and the existing books on Santa Claus were just not very good and I decided I should spend the time to do a thoroughly researched and historically accurate explanation of how Santa came around. How long did all that research take you? It took me probably four to five years full-time. The book was published in 2020, and I started working on it pretty much full-time in 2014, so it took a while. (laughs) Well, let's talk about these midwinter celebrations that your book discusses. Why are they necessary for our psyche? Well, If you live in the northern hemisphere, you know that at about the same time as Christmas rolls around, the end of December, you have the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year, and the longest night. It gets cold. If you go back thousands of years, really, to prehistoric times, the inhabitants of the colder regions found it to be very frightening. And understandably, the plants started to die, the animals started to disappear. They couldn't keep their domesticated animals over the winter because it was too expensive, so to speak, to feed them. And they didn't really have very much to do. The harvest was in they had made their beer or their meat or their their wine or whatever it was, their pleasure. And so they developed this practice of having really month-long celebrations where everyone would get together. They would eat, they would drink, they would 
decorate the uh, homes or the public areas with evergreens, candles, bonfires, really everything we associate with Christmas happened at places like Stonehenge three, four, five thousand years ago. And if you think about Christmas in terms of what it does to our year, you get to November, it starts getting cold. But we have, first of all, Thanksgiving, which cheers us up. Then we have preparation for Christmas, and preparation is half the fun, Uh, putting up the ornaments, putting up the Christmas tree, buying the gifts. And by the time you get through Christmas and then New Year's, you look up and winter's halfway done. And it's only a few weeks until you've got the groundhog sticking his head up to see what he sees. And so it's a way of brightening up the year, of taking what would be the most really depressing time of the year, turning it into the happiest time of the year, and at the same time cutting that depressing part out of our lives. And it happened thousands of years ago in remained a practice in virtually every community or every nation in the Northern Hemisphere. And how did pagan celebrations get transformed into Christian holidays? Well, by order of the emperor, (laughs) uh, which is the way you did things back in 300 AD. The Roman celebration was called Saturnalia, and it was from December 17th to about the 23rd. December 25th was actually the birth of the sun god. There were a couple of different sun gods over the years, but that was the birth of the sun god. And then they would immediately go into a holiday called Calends for calendar. And that lasted four, five, six days, depending on the emperor in charge. So they had this well-developed practice of a uh, celebration for the winter solstice for the birthday of the sun god, and in approximately 350 A.D., after the Roman Empire had suppressed Christianity for hundreds of years and prosecuted uh, and sometimes killed people for practicing Christianity, the emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, and he declared that henceforth, the birthday of the sun god would become the birthday of Jesus Christ. It was not because they had any particular evidence that Christ was born that day. In fact, if you read the Bible, it was a period when the shepherds were tending their flocks in the field. And that's got to be spring, not, not the middle of winter. But they had the holiday, and that's what they decided to do, and it became a holiday that continued for almost 2,000 years thereafter. So why are the phrases, season's greetings and happy holidays, not as offensive as some religious people would make them out to be? Well, there's two reasons. One is that Christmas is not the four weeks or five weeks that we celebrate. Christmas is one day, December 25th. That is the date that Christians observe the birth of Christ. But the Christmas season is a month-long celebration. It begins with Thanksgiving. It ends with New Year's. It starts and ends, I say, with a parade and a football game. Mm -hmm. And none of that is necessarily religious. 
it is pretty much secular celebration. And so when people say season's greetings, they're talking about the entire course of celebration over over several weeks and not simply the birth of Christ. Happy holidays have got an even more interesting derivation. Holidays was derived from Holy Day, and the Holy Days were what we would call now the 12 days of Christmas. Between December 25th and Epiphany, which is January 6th, those 12 days were called the Holy Days, and that became Happy Holidays. So it really was a reference to the Christian holiday in the first place. I'm speaking with Tom German, author of Santa Claus Worldwide, which shares the real story of the American Santa Claus's creation. So how did the traditional appearance of Santa, old white man, white hair, sleigh pulled by reindeers, how did all that come to be? If you go back to some of the earlier celebrations that I talked about, the and this is prior to the birth of Christ, the titular head of the festivities was generally a pagan god. And those gods, Odin, for example, in northern Europe, all had long white beards. Odin, who was the German god of a number of things, but he was also the chief Germanic god, the direction of the church They took him and they eliminated his role in the Christmas holidays, which was essentially the same role as Santa. And they gave that role to St. Nicholas, whose feast day just happened to be December 6th, so very close to Christmas. So they took the pagan god and they put a bishop's robe on him and he became St. Nicholas. What happened after that varies uh, from place to place, and it's really based a lot on religion. During the period when the Catholic Church ruled everything, St. Nicholas was the dominant gift giver. But by 1517, we were all taught when Martin Luther nailed his document to the church door, Protestantism broke off from Catholicism, and the Protestants would have nothing to do with a Catholic saint. That was one of the reasons why they broke away from the Catholic Church was they did not believe in and did not like the practice of sainthood. So the Catholics continued with St. Nicholas, but then the Protestants had no gift giver, and they essentially created their own. These figures look like you took St. Nicholas and left him in the forest for two or three years, and he came out all raggedy and a long beard and wearing pelts for, or fur to keep warm. And that's what these post-Reformation gift givers looked like in the Protestant regions. They had many different names because these were local practices. The most common was Knecht Ruprecht, who was still a very popular figure in Germany. But these sort of terror men was a a term used a lot. They were scary to the little kids. They would come any day in December, knock on the door. They would ask the children to say a prayer or sing a song, and then they would throw some nuts or candies or something on the floor and leave. And that was the visit of what became Santa Claus. Now, in 1821, an American by the name of William Gilley wrote a 
eight-page booklet. He was a publisher, and he published this. It was hand-colored, and it basically told the story of Santa Claus as we know him, except that the Santa Claus was not the formal, upright St. Nicholas. It was this more down-home fellow named Santa Claus, and that was actually his name in the uh, 1821 booklet. And there had never been any publication in America up to that point that talked about Santa Claus. So they essentially created the figure, they created the name, but it was not very successful because the book itself was really, I would call it mean-spirited. There was a lot about punishing bad boys and not so much about the enjoyment of Santa Claus or Christmas. The printer, William Gilly, lived on South Broadway in Manhattan. Right across the street was an Episcopalian church, and one of the people active in that church and the son of the Episcopalian bishop was Clement C. Moore. So everyone believes, and I think it's indisputable, that Clement Moore bought a copy of this book. He read it, and he said, I don't like the book. I like the story. And he then, in 1822, wrote the night before Christmas. He didn't give it a title. He wrote it purely to read to his seven children, and he read it on December 24th of 1822. One of the people who had attended, a family friend, not a member of the family, most historians think, took the poem and went to Troy, New York, where they lived, and gave it anonymously to the newspaper editor there who published it in 1823. It became the poem that really defines how we practice Christmas. The whole concept that Santa comes the night before Christmas, he comes down the chimney while the children are already asleep, he puts the presents in the stockings, or these days more likely under the tree, and then he goes off in his uh, flying reindeer, and the children then wake up in the morning to find Santa has come. That was a significant change from the way Christmas had been celebrated for many, many years before that. It had been sort of a Christmas Eve feast, a lot of drinking, a lot of loud behavior, bands that people would put together and they would go walking down the street in New York and it was in the eyes of many not a particularly respectful way of celebrating the birth of Christ. So what Moore did and what Gildy did before Moore was to move the whole thing to Christmas morning. So everybody has to go to bed early, get up early, and have a family-oriented holiday. And that's what the poem accomplished. It was not initially a huge hit. It took probably 40, 50 years. It was published about once a year for about 40 years. And then in the 1850s and 1860s, it became much more popular when it got published in Harper's Weekly and some of these magazines had very large circulation. And that's when Santa really appeared on the scene. The other thing that contributed to the widespread acceptance of Santa were the illustrated newspapers and magazines like Harper's. They would have Christmas time, they would have illustrated poems, and in fact that's how The Night Before Christmas became 
so popular. It was on a front page of the, one of these magazines with pictures by well-known artists that created a popular image of Santa Claus. And tell us about some of the midwinter gift givers who don't fit that traditional stereotype of the American Santa Claus. There are a lot of really fascinating gift givers. In Latin America and Spain, the predominant gift givers are the three kings. We call them the three wise men or the magi. They don't come on Christmas. They come on Epiphany, which is January 6th. And traditionally was thought to be the day that the wise men actually came to visit Jesus. And in Latin American and Spanish-speaking countries, they have become the predominant Christmas, or I should say, Epiphany gift givers. They come while the children are awake, typically, though some countries the children go to sleep. They have parades, and, and they have a big celebration similar to our Christmas celebrations. It's just a different gift giver. There are the Scandinavian Christmas figures are elves or gnomes, depending on the country, and they didn't really come about until the late 1800s. But if you look at the typical depiction of a Scandinavian elf, looks a lot like Santa, and that was intentional. Catalonia, Spain, it's a region of Spain, has a gift giver whose name I don't think I can actually say on the radio, but it's a log that has the face of... uh, Santa Claus, a smiley face, one end, and they place a blanket over it, and the children then come with sticks, and they beat this stick figure until it expels, I will say, the candy that is hidden underneath. The parents will say, ah, that's good, I think he's coming now, and they will take off the uh, blanket, and there will be all the goodies for the children. The Eastern Europeans have figures that were developed during really the last century under communism that look a lot like Santa. Dead Moral looks like Santa Claus, but he was developed under a atheistic communist government. And he does not represent Christmas. He represents New Year's. And so they put up New Year's trees with a red star on top, And he and his young female assistant essentially perform the same function as Santa, but they do so as a New Year's figure. There are children. Baby Jesus uh, was known as Christkindl in Germany, and he was designated as one of the Christmas gift givers, but it turned out that infants weren't really very good at carrying gifts around. So they, instead of an infant, they made Chris Kindle a adolescent girl, generally with long blonde hair and a wreath of candles on top. And she would essentially play the gift-giving role of, of uh, Santa. Now, when they got to America, no one had heard of Chris Kindle, but the Germans who immigrated to Pennsylvania would tell folks about this gift giver, and people got confused and thought the name that they were saying was Chris Kringle. And they applied that name to the 
mail gift givers that they knew of from Germany or other countries. So that's how we came up with Kris Kringle, who was really more popular than Santa in the mid-1800s. But there are some that I don't even understand. The Gentle Camel of Jesus is a Syrian gift giver. Hard to find anything about him. I suspect he's not really doing much anymore. But there's just a whole variety. There are gift givers in Buddhist countries. In Japan, Christmas has become a very popular holiday that has taken on more of a Valentine's Day approach where they work. Young couples will go out for expensive dinners, but they refer to old man Christmas. The Chinese, some of them at least have similar approaches. So it is a very diverse group of gift givers. And that's one of the things that I tried to convey in the book is how broad this range of gift givers really is. But we know them all as people who represent the philosophy of Christmas. And the philosophy of Christmas is generosity, love, good deeds, and so on. And that's really the role of the Santa figures. I'm speaking with Tom German, author of Santa Claus Worldwide. What surprised you most about writing this book? The diversity. I knew going in that it was a diverse group of gift givers, and that's why I started writing it. But every country has its own group of people, its own practices. Every nation or, you know, some of them weren't actually nations 100 years ago. They were maybe, you know, six different nations that eventually got put together. They have their own practices that have been developed, their dinners, like we have turkey for Thanksgiving, they have their Christmas feasts. And yet, despite that diversity, there is a commonality. It is people celebrating the end of the year, the Christmas holidays, the new year, and they're doing so in diverse ways, but common ways in the sense that they are all seeking to achieve the same thing. And where can we get Santa Claus worldwide? It is available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and it's also available through my website, which is called a acollectionofsantas.com. And that is a website we put together that has probably uh, over 100 illustrations of different Santa figures historically, and you can order the book there, and we give you a 25% discount. And one last question for you. Do you believe in Santa? Of course I believe in Santa. I address this in the book, and what I say is that Santa exists as the symbol of Christmas, and there are lots of things that are symbols. The American flag is a symbol of our country. But it exists, and it's so important that people have fought and died for it. So the fact that Santa is a symbol of Christmas doesn't, in my mind, take away from the importance or the existence of Santa Claus. I've been speaking with Tom German, author of Santa Claus Worldwide, which tells the real story of the American Santa Claus's creation. Thank you so much for talking with us today, and Merry Christmas. Thank you. I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 